Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Friday. We are towards the weekend. Finally, it's been a busy, busy week. And I just want to say off firsthand, I'm sorry I haven't had any episodes since Monday. It's been a very hectic week for myself, but I'm going to have more episodes coming on the next few days. I promise to bring back the consistency after being off for a majority of this week. Uh, I'll have uh, some reviews coming out. I'll have one for Malcolm and Marie. I'm going to have one for Judas and the Black Messiah tomorrow or Sunday, the latest. I'm going to be watching it tonight. So I'll definitely have a review out for that on social media and out on my podcast as well. So you guys can check that out. But there's a whole lot of stuff that happened this week that I'm going to be covering. And it's just going to extend the gambit. There are a lot of controversies that happened this week that I'm going to be addressing specifically everything going on with the Mandalorian and Gina Carano. Also, I'm going to be talking about The Last of Us finding its two main leads in Ellie and Joel. I'm also going to be getting into Spider-Man 3. Tom Holland made uh, gave a few teases about that, maybe kind of of, of cool down some speculation that was going on on that film, or Diddy. We're going to talk about that a little later on as well, as long as a brand new look at Jared Leto's Joker in Zack Snyder's Justice League ahead of the final trailer debut this Valentine's Day. So again, a lot to talk about, a lot to get into. It's going to be basically an extended edition of the Sam Bissell podcast, well over an hour. So buckle up, get ready to go. There's a whole lot to talk about. And again, even though I've been off the last few days, I'm going to keep my traditions up as I usually do. And since it is Friday, of course, another episode of Marvel Studios WandaVision dropped, and I'm going to be doing a non-spoiler review for episode six of this show. Again, this is non-spoiler. So again, If you have any comments, make sure that it is reserved for non-spoilers whatsoever. Again, as I usually do on Mondays, I like to give people Saturday and Sunday and the rest of today to watch the episode if they haven't yet, get caught up on it. And then we, after three days, hopefully the majority of people that are really into the show, watch it. And then we can get into spoilers to start off the brand new week. So today is a full non-spoiler review for episode six of WandaVision. And again, the last few weeks, there are a lot of spoilers that I can't really get into, but it's not as spoilery as the the four and five. I would say gears more towards what we got in episodes two and three more so when it comes to the the answers and the spoilery aspects of episode six. But still, a lot went down in this episode that I think is going to bridge and bring a nice conclusion to the final three episodes because now we're really in the end game of this show really again i don't know if we're going to get a second season of wandavision or this is just going to be a mini series one season and done so for right now though the story is set up to be concluded in these next three episodes and when it comes to the sitcom aspect i do think that Jack Schaefer, who's the writer and showrunner, and Matt Shackman continue to do a great job of, again, paying homage to the sitcoms, especially this episode of the 90s, early 2000s sitcom, kind of playing off of as being kind of like a Malcolm in the Middle type of sitcom, which I really did enjoy. You get a little bit more of the aspects of Tommy and Billy as twins and kind of being acclimated into this family, along with kind of getting into the Pietro Maximoff of the whole situation. We don't get 
a, a whole lot of answers off of that. But again, we kind of see him integrated into this family and, and what he a new dynamic that he brings to it. And he kind of goes into being the the long lost brother that's kind of just jacked into this situation. So the way that they play off that, I, I thought was really, really interesting. So the sitcom aspect, they keep doing a, an incredible job of bringing into not making it seem so goofy, but actually making it seem like it is a full authentic episode that you would see in something like a Malcolm in the middle or something like like a Friends, uh, one of those family sitcom types of the 1990s and early 2000s. So I thought they did a really good job of doing that, laying down the Easter eggs. And this isn't a spoiler because we see it in a lot of the trailers, but because of the of the comic book accuracy that we get in this episode where we see Wanda and Vision in their comic authentic suits, I thought the way that they played off that was incredible. They looked awesome in it. The dynamic was incredible. And as usual, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany do an incredible job in these performances, just continue to kick butt. Same thing with, with Randall Park, Tanya Parrish, Kat Dennings. They, they really kind of do showcase a lot of great stuff within this episode. But I would say the the downfall of this is as strong as episode four and five were of outside in the MCU kind of showcasing Monica Rambeau's side, Jimmy Woo, and how they're dealing with everything going outside of Westview. I thought this episode, when it came to their storyline, was a little bit of a of a thud a bit. Because again, I think, and I said this in my tweet and other Instagram reviews of this episode, I think when we look back on the full nine episode arc of this show, I think this episode is going to be seen as kind of a bridge between the the last few episodes and the final three that we're going to get kind of setting things up for the end game of this show so not a whole lot really went down in terms of big reveals but it was really a lot of setup to what we're going to get in these final three episodes hopefully we get a lot of questions answered to our or yeah a lot of answers to our questions that we have and kind of really kind of bring a nice conclusion to this story because again and especially this goes for television it's not a whole lot about what you do when it comes to the beginning and the middle. It's how you end a show. And again, what we've seen Marvel do throughout their years, specifically what they've done with Avengers Endgame, they know how to stick the landing. So I'm ready to see how this all ends, how this connects to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and the rest of the MCU. So I'm really, really excited for what they're going to bring. But overall, I thought that the 90s aspect was really cool. I love the, the acting, especially what Evan Peters brings to this we kind of get that x-men vibe from the other movies that he's done but he does bring another element that we haven't seen in his pietro maximoff or really any live action pietro maximoff to date so i thought this was a really really well done episode as again especially on the sitcom side of things thought it was a little bit of a letdown when it came to the greater mcu prospects but some great easter eggs that were dropped but this is again i think an overall kind of build up to the conclusion that we're going to get of this story so a lot of still interesting stuff to, to look forward to a lot of things that you can still enjoy in this episode but again we're gonna have to wait a whole nother weekend by the time we get to the end of this episode and i would have to say the last five to ten minutes as usual 
in this show are just bonkers and crazy and just get you excited again for what we're going to see next week and the week after and how we're going to conclude this. And the one thing that I am very interested in, though, is what are we going to get with the run times now? Because we have three episodes left and we still have one more sitcom episode to get through because even though Malcolm in the, Malcolm in the Middle is an homage to, to the 90s and, and early 2000s, now we're going to kind of get into the modern day sitcom with Modern Family and something like a Two and a Half Men. So and kind of the mockumentary that we were teased in when this show first aired. So I think that's going to be next week's. And the question is, is next week going to be a 30-minute episode? Is it going to be maybe 40, 50-plus minutes? Since, again, if all these are going to be six hours in total, we're kind of in that five, kind of in that three-hour mark of this right now. Are the last three episodes going to be really full hour? Is next week going to be half an hour? And then the last two are going to be full hour MCU extravaganzas like we were promised? So that, to me, is another question that I think people are going to be having with the show, what it's going to bring, what it's going to do, and again, how it's going to to bring itself to a conclusion and what we could get with this show moving forward. So again, I'm really excited. It does a great job of building things up, but doesn't answer a whole lot. But again, I'll get into it more on Monday when it comes to my spoiler review but until then again what do you guys think non-spoiler let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts now i want to move on to again a whole lot of news that came out this week in the world of hollywood and i'm going to start off with some of the biggest casting news that we've gotten really this year and over the last really year plus year and a half or so since this pandemic really started and that is the much anticipated casting of Joel and Ellie in the live action adaptation of the highly, highly coveted video game, The Last of Us. And this has been a show that has been anticipated by many of who could potentially play these two highly popular characters in the video game landscape. There was a lot of fan casting, who could play what, who who could play who, how are they gonna do this? Are they gonna get newcomers? Is it gonna be established characters? And I believe it's 50-50. It's a mix of unknown with well-known. And according to both Deadline and The Hollywood Reporter, both Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey will be the dynamic duo headlining The Last of Us television show, which will be showrun by Craig Madsen, from, who did the well-known, well-renowned hit television show for HBO in Chernobyl, along with the creator of this of this video game along with Naughty God, Naughty Dog, excuse me, in Neil Druckmann. So they will both be working together to bring this to life. And everybody knows who Pedro Pascal is, of course, from The Mandalorian to reuniting with HBO from his Game of Thrones days and also being in The Kingsman from Narcos, of course, also playing Maxwell Lord in Wonder Woman 1984. Pedro Pascal has been in major, major blockbusters and anticipated titles over the last few years. And for him, this is a huge, huge role. And if you don't know Game of Thrones, I don't think a lot of people are going to be familiar with Bella Ramsey, which is why I kind of put her in that unknown, making it more of a 50-50, where people will probably... Pedro Pascal is more of a household name than Bella Ramsey. But for a lot of Game of Thrones fans like myself, who know Bella Ramsey, who playing Lady Mormont in Game of Thrones, she stole everything 
every single scene that she was in in season six, seven, and eight. She was incredible, and she was only supposed to be in it, I believe, for the, the last episode of season six, but there was such great praise for her character. There was a lot of popularity behind it that both Benoff and Weiss decided to bring her back for the final two seasons, and again, she just killed it, and she went out like a trooper in the third episode of season eight. So I think that there's a lot there's a lot of potential with Bella Ramsey as this role, especially with Lady Mormont, who even though she's a kid, she's probably the same age as, as Bella Ramsey, which she's at that time maybe 15, 16 years old. The, the fact that she brought toughness, leadership, and was just able to, to kind of assert herself in a very kind of old dominated realm of kingsmanship was absolutely incredible and I think she's going to bring that along with a level of confidence and vulnerability that you need to play the character of Ellie and of course with Pedro Pascal what more can you say about him? Even if he's in a film that is 50-50 like A Wonder Woman 1984, I think a lot of people really liked what he did as Maxwell Lord. And the same thing can be said for what he's done in The Mandalorian, of course. Even though we don't see his face all that often, the way that he's able to portray his voiceovers. And of course, even in the final two episodes of season two of The Mandalorian where we see excuse me, the mask of Mando taken off and Pedro Pascal is just able to do so much in such little on-face screen time is just absolutely remarkable. So he's somebody that, again, has a lot of knowledge of being in a lot of this high IP. And of course, even though they never worked together, this is a Game of Thrones reunion of sorts for these two and of course being reunited on HBO. So again, for The Last of Us, I think this is a huge win for both of of these actors, especially for the fact that for Pedro Pascal, even though he's been in a lot of high profile stuff, it's been for more supporting. And even with The Mandalorian, about 95% of the time he's behind a mask. So it's not really even him in there for a good portion of the time. Again, it's a lot of VO. This is really the first time that we're going to see Pedro up front and center leading a show alongside newcomer Bella Ramsey. So I think for both of them, this is an incredible opportunity. The Last of Us, especially the first game, is well regarded as one of the greatest of all time in terms of a video game. Even though the second part of The Last of Us has a little bit more baggage behind it after it came out last year, I think a lot of people still love what they did with Ellie in that, in that along with Joel as well. And, and what they can do with this show is going to be very exciting. There's going to be a lot of high pro- profitability and profileness to this show. I think HBO is hoping that this can be kind of one of their next big shows to move forward in the future that they can bank on. Get a lot of the the video game viewers that love this that love this property but also expand the fan base for the show to general audience members that might not know the video game but want to check out this television show and go to check out this because of the TV show, not just because of the video game. So there's a lot to look forward to with this casting. But I think the juicier story has to come with Pedro Pascal as Joel. And according to a report, both in Deadline and Collider, who elaborated on this, in the Deadline article, when they were the exclusives to the Pedro Pascal hiring news, it was said that... 
even though Pedro Pascal is going to continue in the Mandalorian role, the Mandalorian isn't going to be the fir his first priority. The Last of Us is going to become first priority for Pedro Pascal moving forward. And I think a lot of people were wondering, well, what does first priority mean? And so there came out a lot more articles about what this means for Pedro Pascal because he's going to be juggling so many high-profile shows in the next few years. So basically, the, the basic gist of this whole thing is moving forward when your first priority for a television show what that basically means is that that television show is exactly what it is it's the first priority which means if there's a scheduling conflict if there's an issue between the overlapping of the two productions that means the last of us takes priority over the mandalorian so basically the mandalorian becomes second priority second fiddle to the last of us which makes a, a ton of sense because again with the mandalorian a lot of it is a stuntman behind a mask you don't really see pedro pascal a, a boatload of the time whereas with the last of us you you're gonna see the expressions the emotions of pedro pascal playing this character it's gonna be a bigger feat for him than then playing something like Din Djarin in Mando. So it makes sense that this would become first priority for him. And a lot of people are speculating, well, does this mean that we won't ever get uh, Pedro Pascal in The Mandalorian ever again? We're never going to see him? Not exactly. I think we're still going to get him. And I think we're, we'll get him in variants like we have in the first two seasons of this television show, where most of the time he'll be behind the mask. But in an episode or two, what it, what it, what it means to the story, if it fits the story, He'll have his mask off, and that if it fits the scheduling for The Last of Us and The Mandalorian, and they're they're not overlapping one another, then that means you get Pedro Pascal to do those scenes for that amount of time that he's available for. So I don't think this is going to be a problem whatsoever because in these first two seasons. That's exactly what they've done. It's not like Pedro Pascal has been there all the time. The first season, I remember they were making that show, and we had no idea who was playing The Mandalorian until way later on when I think they were already in production, and it was announced that Pedro Pascal was going to play the role of Din. So, again, I think they have this down pat. I think John Farrell, Dave Filoni, the people that are behind Mando at Lucasfilm know what they're doing with this show. They know they have a system down pat in place, and I don't think this is going to affect the story one little bit. So I think it'll be interesting to see if they address the mask issue anymore. And this could also be a, a thing where maybe Last of Us and The Mandalorian don't overlap. It'll be interesting because right now... Favreau, Filoni, Robert Rodriguez are executive producing and, and watching over the production of The Book of Boba Fett right now. And then right after The Book of Boba Fett this year, once that's wrapped production, they're going to go right into season three of The Mandalorian. So we don't know when production is going to start on The Last of Us. It seems like they still got to round out the rest of the cast. They seem like they have to find more directors for the, the, the this show. So I think there's still a lot more pre-production that needs to be done with The Last of Us before it gets into production. So maybe Pedro is able to do his scenes in Mando before he does The Last of Us, or if they do overlap, again, this is going to take priority Last of Us over The Mandalorian. So that's going to be very something very interesting to keep an eye out for moving forward. And maybe it does become a case where Pedro does have to drop out if John, if John Favreau, Dave Filoni decide that, you know what, we we need the progression of Din to be one of not having the mask on. If that's the case, then maybe there might need to be 
a, a casting chase. But I think for right now, they have a system down pat. They know what they what they can do. They 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 have the stunt doubles to do it. They I think they have a great relationship with Pedro Pascal, and a lot of it really is voiceover. So if you just bring him in for a few days to record VO for all the episodes that come out, I think that it'll be fine. And again, system down in place. They know what they're doing. This isn't like you have the first seasons of both shows going at the same exact time. So there's not anything uh, a routine now for both of these shows you have a routine now for one now the other one is going to come now and again i think it'll be very very interesting to see how this plays out for pedro and i'm happy for pedro to have this problem because especially for him kind of leading the front for latino male actors right now in these high, high profile roles he deserves them wholeheartedly he's he's a fantastic actor and again for him i think this is a happy problem to to have if you're pedro pascal at this particular moment in time but again what do you guys think about the casting for Ellie and Joel? I'm one who who loves this. I think for Bella Ramsey, even though they're both surprising for me in a way, I, I, I completely like both of these options, and I think they're both going to do incredible work, and I can't wait to see the chemistry that comes with both of them. So do you think it'll have great chemistry? Do you think that this is not the best pairing? Do you think there could have been another pairing that you might have gone with? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And we're going to stick with the Star Wars universe and dive into something that's a little bit more controversial. And and I'm going to tread as lightly as I possibly can on this topic. But uh, it might be a little impossible to do. But I'm going to do my best to attempt to do that with this next story and that has to do with the mandalorian specifically with cardoon actress gina carano who on wednesday night was fired from lucasfilm from the show and from ever being a part of star wars again wednesday night after putting out controversial statements and social media posts that triggered lucasfilm and trended on twitter to fire her that very night and this is the statement that lucasfilm came out with saying gina carano is not currently employed by lucasfilm and there are no plans for her to be in the future, a Lucasfilm spokesperson excuse me, said in a statement. Nevertheless, her social media posts degenerated, degenerating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. And basically, the social media posts that were put out very recently was Gina Carano putting something out comparing conservatives to what Jewish people were experiencing during Nazi Germany, basically during World War II. And uh, that that stuff, of course, is very, very controversial and, and, and abhorrent. Absolutely. And it's... Again, I am somebody who is an advocate for free speech. Again, this is a free country. You can say what's on your mind. However, you you can't say everything. Everything has consequences. You can't just say something like that and not expect it to have consequences. It's like if I were to go on on a job interview and I always hear this all the time when it comes to social media make sure that nothing salacious is on your social media something that won't tie you back to a party or drinking that'll think badly of them on you and that's exactly the same kind of thing that's happening here where you have these horrific things that were said and there had to be consequences for it 
and and for Gina Carano, she's wasted an incredible opportunity for her that she might never get again. Being a part of of a huge franchise like this, and not just being a supporting character on one, but also potentially being the main star on your own spinoff show in this universe. You can't ask for anything else, especially for somebody like Gina Carano, who all all due respect to her, she's an incredible athlete. She was a great MMA fighter, and you can understand why Hollywood would want her to be in film. She's got the physical attributes. She can be a badass. It would make sense for her to be in Hollywood films and, and television shows. How unfortunately, starting out on her career, she wasn't the best actress in the whole world. She didn't have great acting abilities, but on The Mandalorian, you could see that John Favreau, Bryce Dallas Howard, the directors, Taika Waititi, you could see that they were getting, Carl Weathers, they were all getting the best they possibly could out of her, and I think we're making her a better actress. So you, you could see the progression in each episode, in each season of this show, and I just think for her, she she bit off the hand that fed her with this, and again, I'm an advocate for free speech, but at the same time, Again, you know, it has consequences. It has consequences to say this stuff. And I think for Disney, they've been in a lot of controversies like this before in the past. They've had James Gunn, of course, Roseanne. And when things like this come up, you just you can't have that. And especially for them as a company, this was going over the line too much. And apparently, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Lucasfilm has been looking to get rid of her for the last few months. They were looking for the final straw to break the camel's back. And this was this was the thing that did it. And it's understandable that if you give them the ammunition, they will take it and they will fire upon that ammunition to do what they wanted to do. And this also comes from The Hollywood Reporter when it came to Rages of the New Republic, which was going to potentially become the show that would have spun off the Cara Dune character, and this is what was said about that Investor Day presentation in regards to Rangers of the New Republic, because we knew she was going to get her own spinoff show, and I think a little, a lot of people were surprised that in that official announcement, there was no confirmation that Gina Carano was going to be the main headliner for that show. We all just assumed that down the line, once they had more casting, they would announce her for that role. But as always in Hollywood, there is more than meets the eye. And this comes from The Hollywood Reporter when they say, according to sources, Lucasfilm planned to unveil Carano as the star of her own Disney Plus show, Sirius, during a De- December Investor's Day presentation, but scrapped those plans following her November tweets. Multiple Mandalorian spinoffs are in the works from executive producers John Favreau and Dave Filoni, including Rangers of the New Republic, which could have potentially starred Carano. So again, this is... This is what happens when you bite the hand that feeds you. And again, for Gina Carano, I, I think a lot of actors and actresses would have killed to be in the situation that she was really in. And again, the, uh, words have consequences sometimes. And again, even though you're, I'm an advocate for freedom of speech, again, if I were to go in and say some things in the workplace that I think other people would be uncomfortable with, you bet your butt I would be thrown out. I'd be fired from my workplace. I wouldn't get a second chance. So uh, everything has consequences and so do words. Actions have consequences and words have consequences. And so I just think that's what this example is really about. And for people that compare this to James Gunn, the thing with James Gunn is that 
it sounds like when, when that whole thing happened, it wasn't like James Gunn was making those tweets when he was fired. Those were tweets well before he made Guardians of the Galaxy, and he addressed those controversial comments that he made on Twitter while he was announced as a director for Guardians, making a child's film. And so it wasn't like, I think he's he learned from that and made sure that he wasn't caught on social media again. With Gina Carano, this is all recent stuff. This is from November to now and even months months ago before November as well. She was doing all this stuff and she had multiple chances and I think three strikes you're out and that's a policy that I've always heard about that I think a lot of people always abide by and that's what the whole thing with what Gina Carano I think was was dealt with and the main question really becomes from all of this is on the Star Wars side for a lot of the fans is what happens with the Cara Dune character moving forward because when it comes to when it comes to cast members that are let go with their characters sometimes you paint the character into a corner that you have no choice but to recast or you have to take drastic measures to write that character out of the storyline that you are creating and a lot of people are going to speculate that John Favreau always had the intention of writing out the Cara Dune character, and obviously that's not the case if she was going to get her own spinoff show, but the way that Favreau ended season two, it was kind of like an open and shut finale where it acts as a series finale but a season finale, and other than maybe a cliffhanger with Bo-Katan and Mando, you don't really know where anything else is kind of going for season three of The Mandalorian, and so with the Cardoon character, you can basically either recast her if you wanted to with another actress because uh, even though Gina Carano was in this character, it became very popular. She was somebody who was well-recognized. The character became very beloved throughout the first two seasons that I think if you recast somebody, it might take a while for them to be acclimated as that person. But... If people love the character, then I think they'll embrace whoever takes over that role. But if they feel like there's a lot of heft behind that, people might just remember Gina Carano, then I think there's an avenue for John Farrow to kind of put Cardoon off to the side and just forget about her and, and maybe just mention her in passing throughout the story that he is creating, where she's off doing her own adventures and the Rangers of the New Republic becomes a, a different show entirely where you have new cast members come in and you work out the story in that kind of a way. And if I had to choose one of those two options, I think it is option B, where he, I think he's going to write out the Cardoon character. I think he's going to create an entirely new story for Rangers of the New Republic. And I think that's where this is really going to go and again, for a lot of writers, for a lot of showrunners, if something like this happens, it's, it's unexpected. And when you're writing for a character, you're painted into a corner that you have to try to get yourself out of. But I think for Jon Favreau, and again, for Filoni, they, didn't, they somehow didn't paint themselves in a corner with this character. If this was Pedro Pascal, or if this was, if this was Katie Sackhoff saying this, I think that would be a little bit of a tougher task because, again, you, you teased the storyline that could move forward in future seasons to come. We didn't really know what was going to happen with the Cardoon character. So, again, there's a lot more space to work with in that realm with that character. And, and I think either way that they go with, it's going to be a tough decision for them. So one way or another, people will like it. People will hate it. And I think that's just the, the way that it's going to go. And for Gina Carano, 
I think for her, it seems like she's landed okay. Uh, according to Deadline and The Hollywood Reporter, she is she has landed at The Daily Wire with Ben Shapiro, which is more of a conservative, right-leaning entertainment news organization than some others. And it seems like she has found another home there, saying in a statement, The Daily Wire is helping me make one of my dreams to develop and produce my own film come true. I cried out and my prayer was answered. I am sending out a direct message of hope to everyone living in fear of cancellation by a totalitarian mob. I've only just begun using my voice, which is now freer than ever before. And I hope it, it inspires others to do the same. They can't cancel us if we don't let them. So again, Gina Carano is doubling down. She's not really uh, apologizing. She's not really discussing the Mandalorian, Star Wars, a time there. So I, I think for her, she's, she's moving on. I would have at least thanked John Favreau and Dave Filoni for the opportunity because, again, I think without that role, I don't know where she would be right now in terms of her acting career. So, again, we'll see where this leads for Gina Carano, but I understand why she got fired, and I also understand that we're in a country that has free speech, but at the same time, just as actions have consequences, speech has consequences as well, and there's a limit to what you can say, and I think this was one of those times where there's a limit to it, and she crossed that limit multiple times and especially what she said earlier in the week definitely crossed the line and I think Disney responded in a way that needed to be done swiftly and accurately and I think everyone will move forward from here so what do you guys think about Gina Carano being fired from The Mandalorian. Do you think it was the right move? Do you think it was the wrong move? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts in the comments section. So now I'm going to move on back into the MCU. And this is a story that came out earlier before this week's edition of WandaVision. And it was Jack Schaefer, the showrunner for WandaVision, talking about... The big twist that happened in episode five last week with Evan Peters coming in as Pietro Maximoff, another version, whether it's the the X-Men version or another version, this was a big twist that really shook up both WandaVision and the entirety of the MCU as a whole. And this is what she had to say when it went into the idea of bringing Pietro back into the MCU and with Evan Peters on board instead of Aaron Taylor Johnson. We love the idea of bringing him back. And then we were like, how in the world are we going to make this logical sense? Like, how do we justify this? Because that's the thing. You can hatch a million great ideas, but to make them land, to make them be grounded, to make them feel organic to the larger story. This show is such a mind scramble, and because it's working on so many levels, there's so many notions of what's real and what's not. And performance and casting and audience and fandom and all that we just thought it would be the biggest thrill to bring Evan over to the MCU. We thought like, how do we give him the entrance and then enjoy that and then make it crazy? And we had a, and we had long had the idea of the trope of the brother or the relative or whoever comes to town and like stirs things up with the family, that sitcom trope. We were rooting for it for so long and didn't know if it would be possible. It was complicated to make happen. Evan was always up for it, like always, always, always. He is a comic book fan and a Marvel fan he is always up for the absolute weirdest weirdest option and he's a pleasure truly a pleasure to work with everybody was really excited i think kevin feige wanted to make sure that there was a reason for it and that it made sense and i hope that's what we did 
And and I love hearing that because again, with all when it comes to major surprises and major bombshells that happen in the MCU, the one thing that makes has made Marvel special special is it, it fits the story. Again, it's the trope of the the fan service fits the story, not that the fan not that the story fits the fan service, which we've seen in Endgame, Infinity War, the Avengers films, and Captain America films, Guardians. We've seen it in all these different films that it's always about the story. And it seems like so far when it comes to this Pietro thing, and now that I've seen an episode with Evan Peters in episode six of this show, I can understand where they're going with this. And so far, it makes a ton of sense. And again, not to get into any spoiler territory, the one thing that I highlighted that is clearly evident in the sixth episode is that when she says that they wanted to bring in Evan Peters, not because it's it's Evan Peters and he's coming over to the X-Men from the X-Men universe, that's not what it's about, but it's about continuing, excuse me, <coughs> the, the sitcom trope of the, 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 the brother coming into this family and what this family can produce for him and how he can kind of shake up this whole family dynamic. We we see it in a whole lot of family sitcom shows, specifically in stuff like a Malcolm in the Middle or a Modern Family. And so for him to come into this dynamic in episode six, it works really well and it fits the story that they're telling in that realm. And I'm sure in in through episode seven and through nine, we're gonna find out more of how this is possible that this version of Pietro is in Westview. So I, I like what they've done with Evan Peters so far. I think, again, he brings a different element and that continues from his X-Men films that we know that character to be like, but again, brings a different dynamic that becomes his own in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I love what they've done with him. I love what Evan Peters has brought in. And again, it seems like Jack Schaefer, who has a history in Marvel, it's isn't like it's she's just done WandaVision. She's been a writer on Captain Marvel. She's been a writer on the upcoming Black Widow film. She has history in this universe that she knows what to predicate it on and that it's really story and character driven with these fans that love the MCU. So she has an idea. She knows where to go with this. And I think hopefully we get something really, really satisfying in these last few weeks of WandaVision. And the last thing that I want to talk about with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so the second to last thing, rather with the MCU is another film that might deal with the multiverse and that is with Tom Holland who was speaking uh, in a lot of press junkets this week promoting his brand new film with the Russo brothers called Cherry and of course he is a part of multiple big blockbusters not just Spider-Man but also Uncharted but of course the big thing a lot of people want to know about is his next installment in the Spider-Man film franchise and of course this one is getting a lot more press than a lot of the other ones because of the potentiality of it with the multiverse. We might be getting older legacy villains from the Sam Raimi and Mark Webb films like Electro with Jamie Foxx or Doc Ock with Alfred Molina. We could potentially be getting both Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire back as their respective Spider-Man from the previous two iterations of the Web Slinger. So there's a lot of rumors and unconfirmed confirmations of what this can of what this film could be. And of course, you have the biggest spoiler in the MCU to to hold your breath of him not spoiling any, anything. And so far, he's done a pretty good job of not really doing that. He's done a very good job of, of kind of keeping his composure, keeping his cool, and he keeps getting bombarded. I was listening to him on, on the Variety Awards Circuit podcast, and Clayton Davis, who is the awards editor there, 
is is doing his obviously his journalistic job of pressing Tom Holland on some of these bigger blockbusters that people want to know about. And Tom Holland, I think, kept his cool and composure and didn't give anything away. And he does the same thing here with this quote that he gives talking about if Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire might be in this film. And he just kind of shrugged it off a little bit. And this is what he had to say. Unless they have the hidden, the most massive piece of information from me, which I think is too big of a secret for them to keep from me. But as of yet, no, it'll be a continuation of the Spider-Man movies that we've been making. Now, again, he doesn't give anything away. And obviously he can because he signed a contract in NDA. He cannot contractually contractually give anything away. Otherwise, he will be terminated from this role. And for Tom Holland, obviously, he doesn't want to give that up. So, again, he doesn't want to spoil anything for the fans. And does he? Does, can you take this with absolute 100% accuracy? No, I don't think so. He's doing his job. So I think there, where there's smoke, there is fire. And usually we say that term when it comes to problems happening on set. But when it comes to rumors like this, when there is smoke behind these rumors, I believe there is a fire. And I do believe that potentially we could be getting all these legacy characters coming back into this Spider-Man film. And it was really all kind of solidified when it was announced that Benedict Cumberbatch was coming back as Doctor Strange. And all this is going to kind of, Kevin Feige said it, all this WandaVision, Spider-Man 3, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Menace is all going to connect and form this one straight plot line that involves the multiverse in some kind of a way. So I think if Doctor Strange wasn't wasn't in this film, then maybe you could question the legitimacy of getting all these characters back together. But because the Source of Supreme is in this film, it adds a lot more credence. And I don't think you can take these comments with a lot of weight. Again, because Tom Holland's not going to say anything because of his contract. So I don't think that there's any kind of putting anything to bed. If anything, it just adds more fuel to the fire. And again, kudos to Tom Holland for pressuring this feeling the pressure being a teenager young young kid having the weight of this film behind him and not cracking under the pressure of giving anything away so kudos to him and and this is going to be the same for everybody zendaya has been doing press for malcolm and maria and reporters have been asking her the same exact questions of, of of what's going on with filming are you filming with any of these people and she's been doing the same exact thing so uh, again they're not going to give anything away until it is announced either by a trade or Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios Disney come out with a statement and announcement saying that these specific characters are appearing in this. And, and I don't think they want to give that away. And one of the great things about Marvel is the fact that even though they, they do share some things, they keep things in in private and they keep it in suspense to get, to get great audience reactions out of everyone. Obviously, I'll always reference it, but Captain America taking Mjolnir and finally having that kind of be uh, something that we didn't think was going to happen, but it was kept from us. Nobody knew it was happening. And it got one of the great, I think, cinematic reactions in film history, really, from an audience. So... I think for Marvel, they're, they're playing the game that they know very, very well, and they know how special this could be, and so I don't think they're going to really give that away with this film. So what do you guys think about that with Tom Holland? Do, do, you, do you believe any of this that he's saying? Do you think it's just the, same, the simple corporate say, deny, 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 or do you think this is legit that this it, we might not get Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and all these rumors and reports of these legacy characters coming back? Let me know what you think. And leave your thoughts 
below. And the final thing that I want to talk about when it comes to the MCU has to do with the Super Bowl and specifically the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Soldier Super Bowl trailer and spot that premiered during the big game. And again, I talked about it on Monday. There wasn't a whole lot of trailers that came out. There were some, like one for Fast 9. There was one for the new M. Night Shyamalan film for Old. There were a few, but not a whole lot. And it makes sense because there's we don't know what the theatrical landscape is going to look like this year. There are There's already rumors and reports that maybe Black Widow and Fast 9 could be moving away from their May slots. So not a lot of studios are going to put money behind these marketing campaigns if they're just going to stop them and move their release date either to the second half of this year, potentially to next year, and stop it and, and lose millions of dollars on an ad campaign that was was for not anyway. So it makes sense that they didn't put any any credence behind any of the Super Bowl spots this year. But again, there were some, and I think the biggest one that came out, the one that got the most views, the one that got the most buzz was the trailer for the next Disney Plus Marvel Cinematic Universe project in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And again, it was my favorite trailer that came out. It's what is my most anticipated Disney Plus show in the catalog right now, especially on the Marvel Cinematic Universe side. And I thought they delivered 10 times more on this trailer. And it seems like the, the, the records and stats agree with me as the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, according to records and numbers by professionals that record this stuff, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is the highest rated, most watched streaming service trailer ever and it beat out WandaVision's record last year when the first trailer premiered at the Primetime Emmy Awards in September, which the first trailer for WandaVision had 53 million views in 24 hours. And in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, in both its 32nd spot, which aired during the first quarter of the big game, and then they dropped the full two-minute trailer on their YouTube channels, both those combined in 24 hours to $125 million, not, not million dollars, but 125 million views overall, which is huge because this is now getting into hype, like it, 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 this is a theatrical film making its way onto the small screen. So again, I said it beat out the record set by WandaVision with $53 million, or not $53 million, but 53 million views in 24 hours. It also beat out last year's Black Widow big game spot, which had 119 million views in 24 hours. And not even talking about big game spots, it beat out the first teaser trailer that was premiered at Star Wars Celebration in 2019 for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, which had 111 million views on social media and on YouTube. So that just kind of speaks to the volume and to the anticipation level that Falcon and the Winter Soldier is on. And again, I think this television spot and this trailer that came out is gearing people up to really be excited for this television show because, again, it's getting the same amount of hype or even bigger anticipation hype than The Mandalorian. And I think the reason for that is, A, the fact that Marvel Studios is on a roll right now. And because of WandaVision right now, the, the Marvel Studios buzz roll is, is really kind of going right now. And you're only going to have between the WandaVision finale and the Falcon and Winter Soldier premiere a one-week break in between both of those. So it's not like you have a long month break before another adventure in the MCU. It's you stop for a second, then you immediately pick it right back up again. So I think that the buzz is just going to continue to build for the MCU in 2021. 
I think also the fact that I think a lot of people love both Anthony Mackie as Falcon and Sebastian Stan as the Winter Soldier, and the fact that you're continuing a very popular storyline kind of acting as a sequel, not just to Avengers Endgame or to Infinity War, but also to Captain America the Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War, which are both highly respectable films that people love, and they made a whole lot of money for Marvel Studios. So a lot of people love these characters, and the fact that you get Sharon Carter back, the fact that you are talking about Captain America, you have the shield in this show, and kind of propelling this this kind of movie take with this show, I think it's getting people very excited because even though we have the slow mystery build sitcom approach mixed with the MCU craziness of WandaVision, I think people are excited to kind of go back to the the real world MCU that we're going to get where it's kind of espionage, gritty, high paced flying action with, with a lot of comedy and quick bit banter and, and a lot of a global globe trotting espionage that's going to be going on. I think a lot of people are looking forward to that kind of, uh, of not really come down, but kind of level up from what we've gotten with the MCU moving forward and the fact that I think these are going to be little mini movies from what's been kind of rumored where it's basically one movie in each episode around 50-60 minutes a piece I think is going to be exciting and so I think there's just a level of anticipation that hasn't been seen before in any Disney Plus show with Met Falcon and the Winter Soldier so I think a lot of people are excited I know I am and I think again I think the, the trailer and the television spot on at the big game solidified what we're going to expect and what people really wanted to see from the show. And I love that, I think, to a lot of people's expectations. And a lot of people are looking forward to this. And again, Marvel Studios is back. And again, it's not like we have a full layoff. We're getting a, one great show right now with WandaVision and moving right on to the next one. So Marvel Studios, it's just going to continue to kind of spin ball and roll forward with this, with this ride that they're on right now. So... What do you guys think about the records that were broken for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about today is the going from the MCU to the DC Universe, specifically talking about Zack Snyder and his version of Justice League, specifically called Zack Snyder's Justice League on HBO Max coming on March 18th. And in the lead up to the trailer, we finally got our first official clear vision look at Jared Leto's take, or really Zack Snyder's take on Jared Leto's Joker. And it is a completely different look than what we got in Suicide Squad in 2016 with David Ayer, where Joker, Jared Leto's Joker had slick back green hair. He was very kind of composed and put together as much as the Joker can be. He was kind of this kooky, crazy crime boss. It seems like that all kind of goes away. And in this Vanity Fair article that came out exclusively with these two images, it seems like this is a Joker that is featured in these nightmare visions that we first got in Batman versus Superman, and it seems like it continues in Justice League. And this version of Joker has very long black hair, and no tattoos, smeared makeup all over the place, and he just kind of looks different and more demented than ever. And he's kind of got this, it seems like this this asylum kind of coat on with these gloves. So, so it, it's not really known where he really is is around him and also in the Vanity Fair article it was said that in the Snyder Cut as well 
that Joker will also be having another outfit, which will be a bulletproof vest with police badges servicing as his trophies for over the years. So it, from everything that I've gathered so far with the Snyder Cut, it seems like from what we've gathered with this, a lot of stuff that he filmed when it was announced that he would, he would have additional photography for the Snyder Cut when he brought back Bo Leto, Ben Affleck, Amber Heard as Mera, Joe Mantinello as Deathstroke that it would probably be filming for nightmare sequences. And it seems like that is exactly what we're getting and what the additional photography called for. And that seems like what this really took place with. And so Zack Snyder kind of talked about fulfilling this vision and why he wanted to bring back Joker. And he kind of got into this whole methodical sense. And I like what he had to say about the dynamic between both Batman and the Joker. And this is what he had to say. The cool thing about the scene is that it's Joker talking directly to Batman about Batman. It's Joker analyzing Batman about who he is and what he is. And that's the thing I also felt like fans deserve from the DC Universe. That is to say that the Jared Leto Joker and the Ben Affleck Batman, they never really got together. It seemed uncool to me that we would make it all the way through this incarnation of Batman and Joker without seeing them come together. And so he went out to also talk about how this could also get into some of the other things that were teased in BVS, specifically when it came to Batman, when it comes to the burned down Wayne Manor, and also that little snippet that we got of what seemed like a, a eulogy box for a Robin that passed away, seemingly killed off by the Joker. And it seems like Zack Snyder maybe might getting into that with this additional photography that I did with the Justice League. I'd always wanted to explore the death of Robin. If there ever was going to be a next movie, which of course there probably won't be, I wanted to do a thing where in flashbacks we learn how Robin died and how Joker killed him and burned down Wayne Manor, and that whole thing that happened between he and Bruce. The director's plan was to show how they became like this and how he hurt him in a way that no one has really. Other than losing his parents, it was probably the most significant personal injury to his life. So to me, this is always stuff I always wanted to see Snyder explore in in both this and the Justice League and of course Ben Affleck exploring his Batman and this was always what excited me of of what we always had with Batman was I felt like we always got his origin story and we were following him out as he was becoming Batman whereas really with Ben Affleck's it was the first time that we were we were already getting an established Batman where he might have already had a Robin or two he's already established the Joker other villains he's already a legend he's just already established a relationship with Commissioner Gordon he's he's been through things we never got that batman before so i was really excited to see what ben affleck could bring to that both as a filmmaker as a director for his batman solo film but also what zach was going to get out of it as well and it seemed like they were going to kind of work in tandem with one another and unfortunately it just seems like we're not going to get that and hopefully with these nightmare sequences we get something like that and i hope zach was able to think about this and put something behind it whether he wrote the, the, the scenes for it or if it, whether it was Chris Terrio that came back for these scenes. So hopefully we're, we're able to get that. And I think the, another big takeaway from this is the fact that with everything Zach has said, I, who knows if we get a sequel to this. If, in fact, Zack Snyder's Justice League turned out to be a great hit for HBO Max, HBO Max wants to do another one, bring everybody back, which Zack Snyder has said that if this does turn out to be a hit and there's they want to do more and continue the five film arc that he envisioned, then maybe he could do something like a graphic novel, but... 
it seems like right now he's just kind of going about the business, the mindset that this is the only time I'm going to get what I'm going to get right now to finish off this version, do it the best way I can, close it out like I wanted to close it out, kind of bring some finality to it, even though I had two more films that I wanted to do to complete this whole story that I was in the middle of telling with Justice League. So hopefully we get some kind of finality with it, but it seems like he's putting everything he's wanted to put in with this movie, that this incarnation of Joker, I want to make sure that these two meet up after there was a lot of buzz about this baggage that they had together, knowing that these two are arch nemesises. And if we could get something kind of like what we got with Dark Knight in that interrogation scene where both Heath Ledger's Joker and Christian Bale's Batman are kind of trading or jabbing each other philosophically, not just with their hands, but with their words, I think is interesting. And, and I hope Zach is able to, to do that because one of his things that he's done with both Man of Steel and BVS is the fact that the, a, lot of the, a lot of the stuff that he's done is very... Met- Met, 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 metaphorical really like it's about the Greek gods and, and and myths and legends and I think if he's able to have like an ideological war with words between both Batman and Joker in that sense I think that could be something very interesting in a dynamic we hadn't really seen before so hopefully we get that and in terms of this nightmare sequence I've always wanted to know more about it I was always intrigued by what I saw in BVS but, the, but it was always again the placement of when it happened the transition in and out of that just kind of happening all of a sudden was very jarring in BVS and even in the Ultimate Edition there there was really no way around cutting through that and giving it a smooth transition so hopefully in this version of Justice League Zack is able to to do that a lot better and is able to kind of give his his editors some leeway in a seamless smoother transition into those scenes and something that's very jarring and quick so I, I just hopefully the transitions are a lot better because again, even though on a on a on a technical level it didn't really work in terms of how he was able to put it in that film, I think the concept of it it was really really intriguing, kind of giving a glimpse of a very dark dystopian Mad Max like future, and that's exactly what Zack Snyder kind of said when he wanted to do this different take on Joker, where it was a very Mad Max Mad Max s type of kind of road warrior that Joker ends up being. So. Hopefully we kind of get that with this version with Jared Leto. It sounds like Jared Leto had a really good time, even if it was for a few days. It sounds like he had a really good time working with Zack Snyder. So we'll see what he's able to bring to it. And even though it might just be for a few scenes, not a whole lot, to get more of Joker with Jared Leto after having very little to see him with in Suicide Squad, hopefully we we get an idea of what could have been with this version of Joker. So what do you guys think of the pictures of Jared Leto? I really enjoy them. I love the look. It's different. It's futuristic, dystopian. It matches what I heard when where he was placed in this film. Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And we're only a little more than a month away till the release of the Snyder Cut, only a few days away from the second trailer. So I think we could get a first motion look, real life look at Joker in, in motion in the next trailer, saying words, talking in action. So that could be really exciting to see what Zach delivers on that front. But with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. I know it was a long show, but there was so much stuff to get into. And there was a lot of stuff that I wasn't even able to cover today that was breaking that I'll make sure to cover on Monday, along with my WandaVision spoiler review for this week's episode. But until then, again, thank you for tuning in. And be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple, 
Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, you can check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows, such as Russell Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter, at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me at Bissell Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and also on Facebook, at Sam Bissell. You can also find the Sam Bissell Podcast on Facebook as well, at the Sam Bissell Podcast, along with my YouTube channel, the Sam Bissell Podcast, which I talk with directors and actors on some of the latest films that they are promoting. So once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful weekend. And until next time, keep on screening.